Chapter 8 Fruit Jim watched as a cloud of magflies swarmed from one of the rusting hulks below, the black mass bulging and rolling through the air before settling on the rotting hull once more. It had taken a full day and night of sailing, their small lead over the indomitable ironclads always diminishing, but they had finally reached the islands of Kimpaka, or as most of the crew called it, the graveyard. Jim had asked why, upon first hearing the name, but all he'd received in place of explanation were amused smiles and, you'll see. And see, he did. He was atop the foremast, sharing a watch with Gam when they'd first made sight of land. Half a hundred ships, wrecked and ravaged upon rocks, lay rotting in the heat. There were islands, too, almost as many as the ships, great towering stacks of rock, lush and green, rising from the water like spurs upon the crown of some mighty sea-god. Jim could not tell why, or how so many ships had met their end here. Perhaps it was the promise of shelter, or the scarcity of fertile land. Perhaps each ship simply came to scavenge the others that had come before, like vultures, each venturing into the lion's jaws after the last. Whatever foolishness had driven them, the same madness seemed to have gripped the captain. Slow now, Moving only under the power of the foresail, they drifted among the wrecks, while Puggle soared ahead, occasionally diving into the clear water after a fish. Jim peered down to the folk, where crewmen lined the bows of the ship, some watching the waters beneath them, others armed with great fending poles to ward off any wreckage that came too close. Jim saw brightly coloured crabs, each the size of a handspan, scuttling about on the rocks or chewing at exposed wires on the hulking wrecks. Clouds of magflies swirled about the deck of the Archon as she passed, but found no feast upon the curious wooden vessel, and soon they were past the worst of the wreckage. The ironclads, so close now Jim could almost make out individuals on their decks, seemed at last to have reconsidered their pursuit, and had halted beyond the ring of festering ships. A swarm of magflies like this would take years, perhaps even decades, off the life of a metal hull, and that's if they had good weldmakers aboard to repair the damage. It seemed, finally, that their prize was not worth the risk. Gam appeared to hear something from below and peered down at the aftcastle, giving a thumbs up. They want us to watch the route ahead, he explained, turning back to Jim and pointing at the bow of the ship. Terrible dangerous, these islands, even at this speed. Shallow sea and strange channels. Is that how all those ships were wrecked? Jim asked, peering down at the clear water ahead of the bow. Some, I guess. That's why it's safe here. Too shallow for ships like that. He indicated their pursuers, lurking back in the deep water. But most of these would have been left here on purpose. On... on purpose? Jim exclaimed. Why? We're clicks from anywhere. How would they... He trailed off, looking back at the wreckage and trying to imagine what would possess someone to abandon a hundred tons of good steel to the flies. They made to live, didn't they? Gam shrugged. thing you've got to understand about these islands, Jin, is that they are perfect. Golden sand, great forests, cool air. 
fruit as big as your head, just hanging there for the taking. Look. He pointed toward the closest island, drifting slowly past them as they went. Jim squinted, and though even his good eye was not half as sharp as Gam's, he made out the shape of great ovals, weighing heavily upon the branches of the trees. Fruit, Jim gasped. He'd never seen, never even heard of fruit growing, not outside one of the great compound islands like Gradlon, where it cost a fortune in maintenance and fertiliser. Fresh food, healthy and ripe, just hanging from trees, free for the eating. How? I mean, why? Why aren't there people? Whole cities here. There are. People, at least, Gam said, simply. But not for long. It's all bad, see? The stuff that grows here, all of it, it's all poisoned. Something in the soil, maybe? Or the water? Jim looked back at the fruit. They were closer now. He could see it clearly, red and orange and ripe green. He half imagined he could smell it, imagined he could taste it, though he couldn't conjure the flavour. So the people die. Why doesn't anyone tell them? They know. They come anyway. For some of them it's too much. The promise of a home or paradise. Maybe some of them think they'll survive it. I don't know. I suppose for some of them it's better to live for a year, or for five like a king, than spend their whole life living like a slave, working for a handful of salt rice. If the blight doesn't get it first. The thought sickened Jim. Though whether it was the idea of people being willingly poisoned, or the realisation that he could relate to their decision, he couldn't tell. Slowly, and with much care, the Arconauts guided the great ship up the narrow channels between the islands. Sometimes they passed so close to land that overhanging trees scraped the rigging, and other times Jim was sure he felt a juddering in the mast as the belly of the ship grazed the sand beneath them. At a deep channel between two of the towering islands, Jim saw a number of the crew peering over the port gunnels and leaned down to follow their gaze. A great creature lay motionless in the clear water, and fear gripped him as he perceived the glinting of metal pistons latticed across its back. He gasped. It's dead, don't worry. Gam reassured him. It was a bear fin. We reckon it was lured here by the trace of all those ships and got stuck. Then they are real, Jim whispered, as much to himself as Gam. He'd grown up on stories of raptions, the great metal monsters that would follow trace, hungry remnants of the old thinking machines, scouring the oceans for tech that would replenish their bodies. Aren't you worried that something like that will come after us? Gam shrugged. I guess but we have good shielding, and the tech helps keep us safe from men. Men are worse than the machines, harder to understand anyway. He held up a hand before Jim could reply, apparently hearing orders from below once again, then nodded. They want us to look up for smoke, find an island without any. Why? No smoke, no people, Gam said, his expression grim. Sort of folk that come here live here for a while. Not the sort that you want to share an island with. Eventually, an island was selected. 
large and steep, with strong trees for a mast, but free of smoke and other signs of the fruit-eaters. The Archon was guided carefully into a narrow inlet that hid it from view, and the crew assembled on deck. Right, we're safe for now, called the captain, who was sat casually in the rigging above the crew. We'll all go ashore and find ourselves a new mast, make any repairs we need to. Whalen, we'll spread out, so we'll need your speak wires on the beach. And remember, ship rations only. I don't care how good it looks. Don't eat the fruit! Chorused the crew as one. The captain laughed his musical laugh and swung down to the deck. All right. Guess I've told you often enough. Let's go. The long rowboat was put to work, ferrying the crew back and forth to the narrow beach in gangs of a dozen at a time. After the fourth trip, it returned for Jim and Whalen, who had been busy manhandling the great cable drums, and Nix and Gam, who had waited aboard with them. The great cylinders of wrapped wire were a good deal easier to lower into the boat than Whalen, who protested hotly until North had insisted, The captain said all crew ashore, not all crew who aren't scared of a little water. Or do you want me to check with him? Whalen didn't, and now sat low in the belly of the rowboat, clutching one of the cable drums for support, while Nix, wrapped in a heavy shawl to ward off the sunrash, affectionately rubbed his back. How come we can use this stuff on shore anyway? What about the trace? Jim asked, trying to take his friend's mind off the gentle tipping of the boat. This speak wires? It's all shielded, Whalen mumbled. Would be a lot easier to use radios to talk. But they stop working as soon as you shield them. It's like they need trace. A thought seemed to occur to him, and he spoke mostly to himself. I think maybe the talking is the trace. Somehow. But not with this. He patted the great spool of wire. With these, we can send people ashore. Or split up. And they can keep talking as if they... Ah! Waylon squeezed his eyes shut as the small boat lurched violently to one side, but North just laughed. <laughs> That's land, Waylon. Come on, for pity's sake. You're a sailor. North shook his head as he sprung out of the boat and splashed into the foam. Jim followed, marvelling at the beauty of the beach. The sand was fine and golden and the small cove was encircled by steep, forested slopes whose mighty trees spread their branches to provide shade. After much fussing and tinkering with delicate connections, Whalen had attached one end of each of the four great cables to a small crate on the beach and affixed a curious curved handset to the other. Tests were performed, and by some ingenious tech spell of Whalen's, the four gangs of crewmen were able to speak to each other through the wire, as if they were standing next to one another. Even Nix, unable to hear the productions of the tech, seemed to understand what was happening and eyed Whalen with astonished respect. The great drums were hoisted onto poles and each gang set off up the beach, unspooling the wire behind them as they spread out toward the dense and humid forest. Slip, who'd been overseeing the arrangement of broken spars, yards and mast fragments that would serve as the templates for the newly harvested wood, led Caber and Darge to collect the last spool. Waylon, you'll stay here to keep an eye on the tech, okay? Slip laid a hand on his shoulder. Gam, I want you keeping watch over the ship. 
Don't let her out of your sight. Any problems, you call us right back. Gam nodded solemnly and winked at his sister. Slip turned to Jim and handed him the farlocker. We shouldn't be long. You and the girls stay here. Don't eat anything. Try not to get into any trouble this time, yeah? Slip patted him on the shoulder before hoisting his pack and turning away. A bird squawked loudly in the trees and suddenly Jim was acutely aware of the danger. He imagined the bear fin returning to life and charging the beach, or fruit-eater cannibals lurking in the trees, waiting for easy prey. Uh, Slip? He called after the gang. What if there is trouble? The crew just laughed. Kaber, already unspooling the wire with Daj, produced a small knife from his belt and tossed it right at Jim, who sprung back, the blade landing point down in the sand at his feet. Well, scare it off, hero. It turned out, far from being terrifying, keeping watch on the beach was tremendously dull. The four friends snacked on rations of dried kelp, but they didn't last long. Waylon fussed with the tech crate for a time, eventually conjuring a hissing, crackling noise from it, through which the crew could be heard as they spoke with one another across the jungle. This was interesting for a time, but once the joking and chatter died down, the teams fell into silence, only occasionally checking in to report on a suitable piece of wood or other. Once the tech crate had lost its novelty, Nix retreated to the shade of the trees where she could finally be free of the dense sunshawl that protected her fragile skin. Gam seemed overcome by a sullen mood and climbed into the branches of a low tree where he silently kept watch over the archon as she rocked gently in her shallow hide. Jim felt an uncanny weight of responsibility for the others as he sat staring out at the other islands across the water channel. Waylon and Gam were Arkonauts, and had been at sea almost as long as he had, but ever since his return to the ship, with Nix in tow, they'd treated him differently. It was her that had rescued him, as he'd explained a half-dozen times. They'd seen her pull him from the water, but still they shook their heads and smiled approvingly. And the truth was, he did feel different, somehow. He looked at the knife. It was a wrench once. One end still bore the circular jaws and the maker's mark, but the shaft had been heated and hammered into a hard, curved blade. Enough heat and pressure, and you could transform anything. Change it to fit the demands of the environment. Something moved in the breeze, catching his eye. Sun-bleached fabric, purple once, trampled and half-buried in sand. Snatching it up, Jim recognised Wayland's much-abused neckerchief. It seemed once again to have slipped its knot and made a bid for freedom, and perhaps a less sweaty keeper. Wayland was bent double, leaning down into the rowboat and scrabbling around for something when Jim handed it back to him. Ah, there you are, he groaned as he took it back, thanking Jim and mopping his brow once more. I thought I was in trouble again there. He wrapped it about his neck once more and fussed at the knot. What's with these, anyway? Jim asked, stepping forward to fasten it for him. You all have them. Is it uniform or something? Yes, I suppose. Waylon flustered, straightening his robes. It all started with Dash. 
well, and Gam, of course. Though he was only very small back then, I think. He glanced at the trees and waved a hand in Gam's direction. Jim had noticed this. Whenever anyone spoke about Gam, they would look for him and wave, as if to reassure him that they weren't talking behind his back. It was when the captain first saved them. He stole the ship from Sa, and the child slaves too. But something went wrong. Waylon explained, and started to stroll along the beach alongside Jim. There was a fight, and the captain would have been killed, but Daj fought beside him. She wasn't as... scary as she is now. Only small herself. But she saved him, and he saved her. And everyone, really. (laughs) Anyway, she was shot. In the arm, see? And Cap tore a strip from his lovely long tunic to bind it for her. And she kept it. Still wears it now. It just became a thing from there. There's not much of the tunic left now. He tugged affectionately at his wayward neckerchief. Cause that was before my time. I got mine after they found me on a prison ship, headed for Vitsama. But that's a whole different story. He smiled as they completed their lap of the beach and found themselves back at the silent crate once more. Nix dashed excitedly from the trees and waved for their attention. There was a thick, grey-brown film over her hands and she was wet from the knees down. There is clay here, she signed with a broad smile. In the stream, clay to stop the skin from sunrash. Come, see. And before they could respond, she turned and led the way back into the shade of the tree line. Jim followed, Waylon trailing behind. Thirty yards into the trees, at the foot of a low cliff, was a stream. The water spilled down the side of the rock face, forming a shallow pool that wound its way through the trees and away to the sand. Nix crouched beside the pool, cupping handfuls of water, then letting it drain away again. She turned back to them, rubbing the slimy residue between her fingers and holding it out to show them. She grinned and wiped her hands on her face, leaving a thin grey streak over the burned pink-white. What is it? Jim asked. Healing? She shook her head. We have this clay at home. Thick layer on skin blocks out the sun. Stop the burning before it happens. Protect, not heal. Jim nodded his understanding. That's good. You can collect it? She glanced up at the cliff. This is just the show of it. She struggled for the right sign, then used the one for trace. She pointed at the top of the low rock face. I need to find the source. Thick clay. And with that, she set off along the foot of the cliff. Jim turned to Waylon, who was just now catching up. We need to go with her, find out where that clay is coming from so we can collect it. He explained. Waylon wrung his hands and peered back at the beach anxiously. I don't know, Jim. I don't think it's far. Just up there a ways. He pointed up at the rock face. But we're supposed to keep in sight of the ship, remember? Jim tossed him the farlocker and smiled. Well, better keep it in sight then. Come on. Gam appeared, clutching two empty ration jars. 
He held them up in response to Jim's questioning look. Well, what's she going to do? Carry the clay in her arms? Jim smiled and wondered if he'd ever get used to having Gam around, always listening, unable to switch it off. It was like having a skinny, shy guardian angel. Together, the three boys set off after Nix. She'd found a spot where the cliff was lower and less aggressive and had managed to scramble up on her hands and knees. Waylon struggled, but with some help, the four friends soon found themselves high above the beach in an area of dense undergrowth and ferns rising to shoulder height. Nix struggled to find the source of the water, but Gam followed the sound of its trickling and soon led them to a shallow stream that cascaded down from even higher ground. Together they followed the stream uphill through the undergrowth, Waylon stopping every now and then to anxiously spy the Archon with the Farlooker. He could only make out the remaining masts and rigging and the black hourglass flag through the trees, but it seemed enough to reassure him the ship had not sailed away or burst into flames without their oversight. Jim smelled an overripe sweetness that made his stomach growl and followed it to a clutch of rotting fruits that lay nearby, the juicy flesh home to a hundred small insects that buzzed and whirred about it like magflies. Looking up, he saw dozens more of the great oval fruits, swollen and heavy and hanging there temptingly for the taking. His mouth watered. There was a splashing sound and Jim was snapped from his hungered trance to see Nix crouched beside the stream, slapping at the water for their attention. She pointed eagerly toward a patch of exposed sand. Only it wasn't sand. As she wode through the water and dug her hand deep into it, she withdrew a thick fistful. It was clay. Jim followed and marvelled at the texture. It was smooth, like thick mud, but also tough, like rock. Gam crouched nearby, and together he and Jim began to slough handfuls of the grey clay into the ration jars, while Nix eagerly rubbed it on her exposed arms and face. How long will it last? Jim signed, after rinsing his hands in the cloudy water. Many days, maybe more. I use a lot at home because I love to swim and the water washes it off. He remembered her name sign, legs kicking through water, and also the confidence with which she saved him at the jetty. He hesitated before replying, but decided the hand sign was secret to the two of them and private. I never learned how to swim. She seemed to think about this for a moment. Your parents, they are dead. Jim swallowed the lump in his throat. He didn't know if it was the fairy way or the economy of signing, but she had a habit of cutting right to the point. Maybe, probably. They gave me to a rescue ship when I was very young. There was a great hunger. She nodded sadly. Our storyteller taught me. Under the water, nobody can hear, so swimming was good for me. Not all fairies are deaf? She shook her head vigorously. Only me, and one other much older, but my parents know the sign, and a friend. And the storyteller? Jim ventured. It was fascinating to imagine this glimpse of fairy life like stepping inside the pages of a child's story. 
Yes. She taught us. She is dead now. Jim made the sign for sadness, not knowing what else to say. Okay, she's still there, Waylon announced, collapsing the farlocker once again. We should head back, though. I don't... Gam threw up a hand for silence, his eyes screwed shut, concentrating. He fumbled at the thick bandages that protected his ears, peeling one back briefly before looking at the others with alarm. There's someone else on the island, he whispered, tugging at Wayland's robe, pulling him into a crouch beside them. Fruit eaters? Wayland gasped, glancing about the ferns nervously. Gam shook his head. No, I don't think so. I heard an engine, a small one. We should tell the others! Wayland hissed, making to head downstream toward the beach. Wait, we should find out what it is first. Jim said, holding up a hand. Don't want to raise the alarm over nothing. I don't know, Jim, Wayland said. It must be something. But we need to know what to tell them. We need to at least know where it is in case they come back right into it. Gam, where was the sound? Gam pointed across the slope, away from the beach. Over there. Next beach over, I guess. What happens? Nick's signed, squinting at their hushed lips. There are people coming? An engine? A boat. This way, he replied, pointing. Quiet. She raised an eyebrow, and he realised the stupidity of the instruction, but she followed him all the same as Gam led them crawling through the undergrowth. As the slope crested and began to descend, they saw bright sand again the very next beach from the Archon's hiding place. A small inflatable boat, orange originally, but patched a hundred times with black and blue, bobbed in the shallow water. Three men crept across the beach, each armed with long guns and peering up at the trees that encircled them. The four friends looked aghast at one another as they lay hid among the ferns. What are they doing? whispered Waylon, worry knotting his face. Looking for us, I think. I can't hear them over the engine, Gam said. They must have followed the ship through the graveyard. They'll find it, Waylon hissed. It's only there. He pointed behind them, past the tall bluff of rock that separated this beach from the next. Jim took the farlocker from Waylon and spied down on the men. They were rough, cruel and piratical looking, but anxious. They muttered and argued among themselves, gesturing up at the trees with their makeshift guns. Nix jabbed his arm with her fist and made the sign for questioning. Jim handed her the farlocker, and she too squinted down at the intruders. She watched for a good while, adjusting the lens more than once for a clearer look before turning back to him. They are scared of the island. They spoke cannibals. Jim frowned in confusion, but Nix gestured at the farlocker and then her lips. I read them. It is hard. I don't see much. Come on! We need to tell the others! Waylon whispered, shuffling backward into the ferns. The others followed, hurrying back as quickly and quietly as they could manage. They scrambled down the cliffside, and by the time they reached the beach, were at a full run, racing for the small, hissing tech crate.
Waylon grasped the curved handset that sat atop the crate and pushed a button. Eh, uh, everyone? Aconauts? There are pirates coming! Other pirates! They are on the next beach over to the, uh, west! He looked at the others desperately, unsure of what else to say. Come back! They have guns! Waylon let go the button, and the four friends waited for the crackling response. But nothing happened. Gam dashed off into the trees, following the direction the crew had taken. No, no, no! Waylon fiddled with the wire connections and rapped upon the button again. Hello! Anyone! You need to come back right now! But again, there was no reply, only an empty, hopeless hissing. A cry carried out of the tree line. Uh, guys, you better come see this. They ran toward Gam's voice and found him twenty yards into the trees, clutching a cable and backing away from something. Jim saw movement in the undergrowth. A dozen crabs, each the size of a handspan, with brightly coloured shells of swirling blue, orange and green. They were swarming around the cable, tearing at the plastic sleeving with their claws and mandibles. Jim saw exposed wire, then a break in the wire. He looked at Gam, who clutched another free broken end in his hand, panic on his face. There was no way of reaching the others. They were alone. Our voyage through the world of the Risen Tide continues in the next episode, which will be here in just a few days. New chapters will be released on Monday and Thursday every week, so hit subscribe to stay up to date, or if you just can't wait, the full tale is available today on Audible, Spotify, and more. If you'd rather read than listen, head over to talesoftherisentide.com or Amazon to grab yourself a hard copy or ebook. Thanks for listening.